Welcome to Live in the Messiah's Love. I'm Kamisha Lucier, Senior Pastor of A Day of Prayer. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I love our time together, and I love to be able to connect with you around the Word of God. Today's episode is called Taking the Ground and Territory That Belongs to You, Part 2. The weapons of our warfare are made to deal with the adversary, the devil, demons, and demonic spirits, not for approaching God. Yes, we come to him with boldness and with confidence and in faith, we approach the throne of grace and we know that we will receive from our heavenly father help when we need it, help even when we don't need it because he's a good God. But we don't come to him as a robber or a marauder or a thief. We don't raid our own home. We enter by the door and we enter with peace and by faith. Sometimes believers mix up the approach and perspective when they're in the heat of battle or just in pain. The humanity of people starts to cry out and they start attributing God's attributes to the devil and the devil's attributes to God. And this must never be the case because when we have a wrong perspective of God, we are set up for failure. We are set up for the adversary to take advantage and defeat us every time because we believe God is against us. But when we have the right perspective, we are set up for victory. What's one of those ways that humans attribute God's attributes to the devil or the devil's attributes to God. One case would be saying that the devil has so much power or believing that he knows everything and you have no force or voice or um, power against him. But when it comes to God, you think God is weak and he's not able to get anything done or he is um, limited in some kind of way to help you. Well, that's not the case. It's actually the opposite. The devil has no power because he's been stripped of it by the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And God has all the power, all the power and the authority, and he is able to do anything that we need him to do. He's able to do everything that he's promised to do. Wicked and demonic spirits in the earth, uh, that would be the unseen realm, will try to press down on your mind with thoughts of mental anguish and your emotions with mental pressure to um, make your own way without God or try to cause confusion in your mind or um, barrage you and attack you with negative, repetitive thoughts of quitting or failure or shame or embarrassment that would try to discourage you from persevering in your faith to realize or partake of the manifestation of your faith. One example of that would be as a, a mother, a woman, when you are carrying a baby it starts off as just a small little seed, a small little thing that no one else can see. Nobody knows it's there. But over time, evidence that you're carrying a child starts to manifest itself. But the journey doesn't stop there. We don't just want to see that there's something in the oven, if you will. We want to get to the place where we hold that baby. We get to kiss that baby. We get to shape that baby's head and smell that baby and even change those dirty diapers. We want to persevere to holding our um, the results of the manifestation of our our faith in our hands. So that's a, a, a natural way to think about what happens when we begin our faith journey on any particular thing with God. And the adversary would want you to forfeit 
that completion that God has already given to you, that he already desires to bring to pass in the earth. We take it, we receive from God by faith and by take it, I mean, accept it by faith. We know that our father hears us and he answered us because we pray according to his will. So that means it's done according to as far as we're concerned, it's finished, right? When a mom gets pregnant, as far as she's concerned, she's got that baby. And there's a natural walking out of the manifestation of that life coming into the earth. So the same thing happens with our faith. There's a natural walking it out of our, the results of our faith coming into the earth where it's now it's tangible. We can see it. We can touch it. We can smell it. All of those things. And we want both parts to be done. Now, as far as we're concerned, all we need to do is receive it by faith. And it's God's job to do the manifestation. Well, the adversary would try to get you to give up on persevering to believe God and he'll cause a shroud of darkness um, that's like the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23 to come around you and oppress you so you won't press through that negative atmosphere. So you'll give up and you'll quit before you ever reach that manifestation. That pressing through that shroud of darkness, refusing to give up, that's taking the kingdom by force, not barrading your God as though he does not want to bless you, as though he cannot hear you. That's not taking it by force. We need not take anything from our own home. You know, we've already talked about that. But pressing through the tricks and the traps of the adversary, that's taking the kingdom by force. That's receiving that manifestation and following it all the way out into um, natural manifestation. God is for you. He's not against you. And here's another truth and a surprise to most people. The devil is against you. He's never for you. That little nagging voice that the adversary tries to use, it goes, oh, why are you, you, you might as well give up. You're going to look stupid. Why are you believing for that? You're not good enough. You're never going to make it. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm just trying to help you out so you don't make a fool of yourself by believing God. That's the very same kind of um, tactic and lie that he approached woman in the garden with God. Oh, you're not going to die. You don't need to believe him. Just uh, make your own way. Do your own thing. Give up on the plan that God has for you. And what did that do that caused her to be captured? And now she was outside of the will of God and she missed the perfect life that God had for her. Well, we are smarter than that. Well, we have the mind of Christ. Let's let's say that one. We have the mind of Christ and we have the word of God that's written for our benefit. So we are not ignorant of Satan's traps and tricks and schemes, but we are made strong and we are made powerful in the word of God through the our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word that makes us unstoppable. So there's two things we need to understand when it comes to taking the territory that belongs to us. Number one is we can't forcefully take anything from God. He is almighty God, and we should never forget that. And he is the lover of our soul. He's already given us his son. And so he will not withhold any good thing from us because he loves us. So we have that confidence in him. And number two, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And he was victorious in completing his task. He has the keys of hell and death. That's Revelation 1, 18. So we aren't using our spiritual weapons to attack our God or attack our Father, attack our Lord and Savior. We're using them to deal with the devil. 
Now, you might be saying, well, what about Jacob? You know, I remember that in Genesis, he wrestled with God. I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's take a look at those scriptures so we can get some clarity and understanding. Let's go to Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to look at verses 22 through 30. And in this in this scene right here in the word of God, and it's not a play or anything, but at this time, Jacob is has left um, Laban's house and he's on his way back to his home where he grew up because the Lord spoke with him and told him to go. And I'll start reading in verse 22. It says, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So in this, this section of scripture, Jacob is wrestling with the Lord Jesus Christ before he is manifested as we see him in his role today. Uh, there's a couple of different instances where we see him working throughout scriptures, and he is referenced to equal with God and not as a subordinate. So we know this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is able to declare, I'm going to bless you. Um, no angel has that ability to, it's always the Lord was going to bless you when an angel was speaking on behalf of God. And I'll say a, a lower rank. Um, but when it's the Lord Jesus, the Messiah speaking, uh, before he put on flesh and fulfilled the role of Messiah, he still speaks as God and there is no consequence to him. We remember Lucifer said, I'm going to be like God. And he tried to take God's place and there was consequence. Well, this is not, and Jesus and Lucifer are not equals by any stretch, but I'm just making a, um, making some clarification there. So why was Jesus there? Why was, why was the Lord there to meet with him? Sometimes when we read this, we, we see it as though Jacob caught a, a fairy by the wing or he caught the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow so he could get his pot of gold as though it was some power of Jacob's that caused this situation to come about. But I tell you, it's the Lord came to meet him there because God wanted to do something for him. God wanted to bless Jacob, but he needed Jacob to move past his own fear. If you read in the verses before that, um, verses 9 through 12 in chapter 32, and um, actually you can read from verse 1 on down to you get to 22 and you'll see that Jacob was afraid and he cried out to God because he was really afraid. But when we see God, don't we always hear him saying, fear not, fear not, fear is not of God. So when we are quaking in fear, our faith isn't able to flourish. So God needed to get Jacob 
in in the right mindset so God could bless him with his destiny. God could bless him and take care of this this immediate situation for Jacob, but also take care of what was coming down the line. Jacob having his name changed to Israel is a pivotal moment in his life as a believer, um, as a uh, someone who walked with God and believed in him. But it also still speaks to the generations of Israel of the flesh, but also what we get to partake of. We are um, grafted in to Israel because of our faith in the in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jacob was afraid here, and that fear was interfering what God's ability to bless him. So remember, we were talking about that shroud and that oppression that the adversary tries to bring against your mind to keep you from pressing through to connect your faith with God or pressing through to see the f- the finishing and the fulfillment of what God said. Um, in Genesis chapter 31, verses three through and 13, the Lord told him to go back home. And we know if God commissions something, that means he's also blessed it. That's mean, that means he's going to carry it out. That finishing of that, um, whatever he's spoken to us, but we have to come by faith. He needs our faith. Remember, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Jacob wasn't overpowering God. This is very similar to when there was a, a woman that was outside of Israel who came and petitioned God, uh, Jesus, during his earthly ministry and asked him to heal her daughter. And, and Jesus said to her, I've not been sent to you. Um, it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. And that woman could have been offended. She could have had her feelings hurt. She could have doubted that he would help her. She could have done a myriad of things. She could have turned her back, hung her head and walked away. But she didn't. She persevered and said, I know this, that even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus was like, that's it. You press through with your faith. You might have, you had some courage to ask, but you pressed through and you would not walk away because it seemed like you couldn't have what you asked for because it felt like your prayer wasn't going to be answered because it, you thought that, et cetera, X, Y, and Z, whatever she pressed through and she was able to receive that blessing that was hers. It was available to her. Jesus needed her faith. And we don't have a right to dictate the terms to God as in regards to the method that he says that he's chosen to carry work out in the earth. That's a spiritual law and it's already been set in place. Our job is to learn and to understand who our God is and to come to him by that way and to rule over the works of the adversary and to keep the adversary in the place that Jesus has already put him in. So what does it mean to take territory or another word, a way of thinking about it would be occupying territory. Now we talked about in the the previous part one of this, um, this series about Jericho, that there was someone occupying the land that God had already given God's children. This was already theirs. God said it was theirs and they had every right to it, but there were people in the land. And the people in the land are not the problem. It's the spirit behind it. That's the problem. So we also covered um, remembering that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't go attacking people. We're not trying to um, over people. We're ruling over the wicked spirits. So advancing the kingdom of God and his influence in the earth is what we're called to do. Occupying the place, the space, the position, 
the lands, the finances, and the life that brings glory to God, and specifically what he has assigned to you. And attending to those things that the Lord has mandated for you personally, that is creating the Garden of Eden everywhere you go as an ambassador of Christ. And the responsibility that he has put under your control, you're maintaining his presence there. For example, your children, your work, the ministry that he's given you, or even where you live, you keeping the adversary subdued and out of that space and providing a means and an avenue for the blessing of God to be made manifest and to come forward in the earth. Luke chapter 19, verse 13 says, so he called 10 of his servants, delivered 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. We have been given a mandate by the Lord Jesus Christ because we are his body to finish and to carry out the work. Well, he's finished his, his portion of it, but to carry out the act and the role of enforcing his blessing in the earth. And it is a it's a, a similar and akin to the mandate that was given to man and woman in the garden. Have dominion, subdue it, <laughs> replenish it, make it look like God. Now, we don't do that by violating people and brutalizing them. Um, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you maintain your authority over the spirits behind wicked events and circumstances. Man and woman in the garden were supposed to cast the devil out. They were supposed to say no. This is what my God has already said. You get out of here, devil, in the name of Jesus and go immediately to their father and receive whatever help they needed in that moment. And to if they had questions, even if it was just a matter of, can you clarify what you said to me, God? They were supposed to go back to the father and find that out, not try to deal with things in their own, their own way or according to their own mindset. When you remember Jesus in, um, after he was baptized with the Holy, he was baptized by the, um, John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He went into the wilderness and fasted 40 days because Holy Spirit led him there. And while he was fasting and he was hungry, the adversary came to tempt him. Holy Spirit knew exactly what was going to happen. And that was an opportunity for Jesus to dominate and prevail in the situation. And when the devil came and he was quoting the word to the word in flesh himself, Jesus didn't rely on his own abilities. He relied on the word of God. He relied on the Holy Spirit that he was now anointed and baptized with. And that's where he spoke from. He drew from that power that the Holy Spirit gave him. He didn't go, well, my name is Jesus. I know I'm the son of God. I'm going to wing it. I'm going to do it in my flesh. No, he stayed right with the word of God. He stayed exactly in cadence and in connection with the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to do the whole, the same thing. And when Jesus departed from this earth, he gave us his authority. In Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 and 19, he lets us know that all authority has been given to him. And I'll just read it to you. And, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When he said go, that was a transition of power, if you will. That was him transferring his anointing and his ability to his church, to his believers to go and do the works that he did. Remember, he told us that 
we would do greater works. Those that believe on the name of Jesus would do the works that he did in greater. So we needed the same, the authority to go do it. And he did give that to us. So how do we use the name of Jesus? When, why, and what do we do with his name? What do we do with that authority that he gave us? A good example how you should look at this is look at how the Messiah carried himself in his earthly ministry. Watch, read through the scriptures and watch Jesus, not looking for a repetition or rote or a prescription. So you can say, I got the formula. Now I don't need you, Lord. I don't need you, Holy Spirit. That's not what we're doing. But look and examine his ways and then pattern and un- come to the Father and Govern yourself according to what you see him doing. Take his thoughts and make them your thoughts. Yes, your natural mind wants to think differently than Jesus, but it should not. We have the mind of Christ, meaning his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we're to come into alignment. But he is our literal example of how to carry ourselves in the earth. We are his body. We are his body. Let that saturate and soak into your spirit, your inward man, and let that renew your mind. We sometimes will go, well, yeah, he's the son of God. Yes, but he emptied himself of all of that power. He emptied himself of all of that, um, that royal and godly uh, power and ability. And he came and put on flesh like a man and had to come through the same pathway that we will come, that we have to approach. So he relied on the Holy Spirit. He relied on the word of the father. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? And he relied on the Holy Spirit. He didn't go anywhere until Holy Spirit led him. He didn't do anything until Holy Spirit led him. And he was in perfect alignment with the Father. So who can use the name of Jesus? Any believer, regardless of how long you've been saved or um, or not. And when the last time you sinned was like, if I, if I made a mistake yesterday, I can't use the name of Jesus today. That's not true. There's no truth in that. The, the caveat would be, make sure you repent of that sin, bring it under the blood of Jesus, and then go forward. The, the name of Jesus, the, the weapons of our warfare, the armor of God, it works when we are in alignment with God. That's how it's designed to function. It's not de- designed to function for a renegade or a rebel against the Lord. And it's important for us to remember that though everything that God gave us in the name of Jesus is meant to be used to deal with the adversary it's not to be used against our Lord. And it's made to rule over the devil. And we're not asking devils. We're not negotiating with them. We take authority in the name of Jesus because that's how he's set this to work. That's how Father God ordained this to be carried out. And how do we use that authority? How do we use the name of Jesus? We use it with our mouth. Jesus, when you when you go back and watch his life and you examine what he did as Holy Spirit gave him utterance, he spoke. He didn't think the devil out of the situation. He didn't um, grumble and complain. He didn't sit in the dirt and cry and say, oh, Father, come do it. Even though he gave glory to God and knew that he was doing the work, the Father was working through him, he still had to open his mouth and speak. When can you use the name of Jesus and the authority that he's given us in his name and, and through our covenant relationship with him? Anytime. Any day, any, any day, any night, anytime, anywhere, you can use that authority. Anytime the works of the devil are manifest, 
And you can come in and deal with the adversary by the name of Jesus. And again, we're not fighting against people. It's not a means of controlling people. That's witchcraft. That's demonic to try to control people. And it's ungodly. That's not the same as disciplining your children. But I mean, trying to exact some kind of external force and control over another human being whom God has said they have free will. That's not what this is for. That's not what the weapons of that God has given us the name of Jesus is for. You get self-control. You can self-control you and you can deal with the spirits that are causing the ungodly actions and behaviors or the laws and the rules. You can do that with the spiritual force. Why can we use the name of Jesus and the authority that he gave us? Easy, because Jesus told us that we should do it. When he said go, that was the same commissioning and the same instruction, just like when he sent his disciples out when he was in his earthly ministry. Now go and do these things. And this is how I want you to go about it. That's the same thing here. So what are we supposed to do? So there's some, some key parts of this binding and loosing in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 through 19. The, the word of God says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So binding and loosing is a tool. It's a key to the kingdom to stop demonic activity and the advancement of the devil's plans in the places that God has put under our authority. And that would be the earth. But it has a high um a, a concentrated effort or effect in the areas that God has assigned to you in particular. So well, how, how would I um, distinguish the difference? For example, yes, when a storm arises that doesn't come from uh, God, because no, no calamity like that, God is not doing that. That's from the wicked one. So when a storm arises, I can bind that storm because it's in my region. It's in my area and I can cast it out in the name of Jesus. And if someone is saying, well, you know, they want their house to be blown away, that's their personal choice, but it doesn't have to come near me, right? So I can put that boundary around my house and around my property and my territory and make sure that the things that God has committed to me are safe. Um, Number two, we have casting out demons. Also, you'll see that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18, actually, I'll read verses 14 through 18. It says, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I'll I'll read verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that again, that was the Lord saying, here's the authorities in my name. Now you go and do this work. You go and do the work that I've tasked you with. And as you go, you, you saw the key part where it said, cast out demons. 
but it, the caveat is in his name. You don't have the power and ability in your own regard to cast out demons. You can resist to an, an element, but casting them out as far as, as casting them out of situations and a, a person or things of that nature that only comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So we need him and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that as well. Now, back to our list. Um, number three, we use the truth that as a believer, we are covered in the blood of Jesus and the testimony that we have already been redeemed to break strongholds of the enemy in our particular lives um, and in the lives of our immediate family, for example, because strongholds usually happen um, in the mind that's more of an internal thing, like an addiction or something of that nature. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that is a, another tool, what we can do with the name of Jesus Christ. So we can bind and loose with the name of Jesus Christ, and that's stopping demonic activity and uh, the advancement of wicked plans. We can cast out demons out of situations, out of people, out of circumstances in the name of Jesus, and we can overcome and break strongholds in the name of Jesus, by his blood and by our testimony that he's done exactly what he said he's done. Then we have our praise and we praise the sufficiency of our God and that in fact, Jesus does have the name that has been given above every name, that every knee must bow itself to him. That is important. And this is, this is just, just, uh, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's enough to get you going. It's enough to make you a threat to the devil and not just a threat. He's going to hate to see you coming because you know how to wield the weapons that God has given you. And your armor, again, it it fits on the person who's obedient to God. It's designed for the person who is in covenant with God, not the person that is rebelling against God. And again, Adam and Eve in the garden were supposed to enforce the plan of God, his will and the blessing of God in the earth. And they were supposed to rule over the works of Satan. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And we're doing it in the name of Jesus. Now you have to maintain that spiritual authority and the boundaries and the perimeter that Jesus has provided and delegated to you in his name and that he's assigned um, and given into your care. So if he says to you, um, my daughter, I want you to move to this location and I want you to work at this company or for this specific place, go do just that. Ask God for counsel, ask him for guidance, like times and seasons, say yes, God, and then get the plans and the details from him and then keep moving forward. Walk in what he told you to do because that is you taking a territory that belongs to you. And then you occupy it with the authority that comes in the name of Jesus. You don't let tornadoes come down your way. You don't let hurricanes come into your um, your arena and your area that God has placed you. You are the son or daughter of the most high God. And you are the body of Christ in the earth. He gave you his name. He gave you authority to speak on his behalf in alignment with the will of the father in the earth. And the power of God will back that up. You don't go and make it to, you know, you're not making it, bringing it to pass with your own hands. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. Just like the Holy Spirit worked those miracles when Jesus was here in his natural ministry. He's going to work those miracles through you. He's going to take the storm out to see. He's going to take care of the work that needs to be done. But the moment you speak and declare the word of God in the name of Jesus with boldness and confidence in who our Lord is, the work is done. 
You don't have to go back and look and check. You don't have to wait and, and see the results to know that it's finished. We've done that by faith. Remember, now you have to maintain your, your border. You have to be a sovereign <laughs> ambassador for Christ in the earth. Don't give the devil an inch. Don't give him a, a foothold in any way, shape, or form. There's some scriptures I'm going to share with you that denote how we are hedged in by God and we're protected by him and that he loves us. So it's important that you meditate on the word of God. And I'm giving the sharing those with you so you can meditate on his word so you can um, renew your mind and encourage yourself so that your confidence, when the need arises, you're taking authority over those spiritual forces that are are out of where they should be. And you don't let anything that the devil does have any kind of traction in your life or the life of your family, in your finances, in your region, any of that, you bring it under the subjection, the subjection of the name and the, the word and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the power to keep these in place, or you have the power to destroy them when it, in particular, when it comes to your household, your family, by your words, you were justified and by your words, you are condemned and your deeds have a lot to do with this as well. Jesus already put the devil under your feet. Now you have to keep him there. Now, Holy Spirit's going to help, but you have to do the work. You have to cast the devil out. You have to bind the activities of the wicked one. You have to bind those plans. Jesus has already said, I'm for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? The word is chocked full of declarations of the Lord saying that I'm with you. I'll protect you. I will shield you. I'm your great reward of all of these things that he spoke it and he'll make it good. He is faithful to keep his promises. Now it's your job to meditate on that word and press through the shroud that the adversary would try to bring to come against your mind. So those, those um, verses that we were talking about, Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 18, Job chapter one, verse 10, Psalm 139, verse five. Psalm 91, the whole chapter is, is important and it's about protection, but verses 14 through 16 show the Lord's response to the decision that the person speaking, the man of God made to make God his refuge. So we're hedged in before and behind and we're protected by God. Meditate on that word until it, it grows deep roots in you and begins to spring up. And then you begin to act by faith on the word of God. And like I said, don't give the devil or wicked spirits an inch. You keep them backed up. You keep them under your feet and you keep them in subjection. Healing in your body and the body of your children, peace in your home, safety for you and your family, your finances, including identity theft, your property, cars, houses, everything that you can think of, anything that you can think of that God has put into your care belongs to you. In the name of Jesus. Now, we've already mentioned this. You can't be hard-hearted towards God. You cannot um, dabble in wicked things and then think now you're going to rule over the adversary. You got to come in all the way. You can't have one foot in with Christ and one foot in or out outside of him. You got to come all the way in, okay? And you cannot carry out God's will by using sinful ways and means to take, um, you know, to behave that way is ungodly. And thinking the ends justifies the means, I'll, I'll be wicked to get a good result for the Lord is ungodly. And it, it is a wicked mindset and it doesn't represent godly principles. 
But remember this, that in Christ, you have already been made more than a conqueror. Remember that he loves you and that his way, his plan and his path is good enough. And you are able to take that ground in the territory that belongs to you. You're able to occupy it until your Lord and Savior comes. You're able to do business and bring about the Garden of Eden everywhere around you because of the Holy Spirit who's in you. Well, I can't wait to meet back here with you next week and remember to live your life in the Messiah's love.